Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Market Mentors podcast. I'm Matt Dodgson, co-founder of Market Recruitment, and we connect B2B tech and SaaS businesses with marketers to help them grow. This week, we're joined by David Falame. David was previously head of marketing for HubSpot in Asia before moving to OnDeck as their marketing director and is now a fractional CMO helping founders and marketing leaders. But he's experienced firsthand what it's like to lead in a downturn during his time at HubSpot. So I'm pleased he's taken up my offer to talk about some ideas of how to handle marketing in a recession. I hope you enjoy. So welcome to the Market Mentors Podcast, David. Oh, thanks for having me, Matt. Absolute pleasure. So before we get stuck into this one, I'd love to know what your relationship is with B2B tech marketing. Ah, well, I'm one of those marketers that isn't necessarily just a B2B tech marketer. The way I view my career is kind of like marketing applies across a lot of disciplines. And the way I've approached my career is kind of like filling out the bingo card of marketing experiences I can have. So B2B tech, B2C, I view it all under the same bucket. But the reason I'm drawn to B2B is because it's a lot more complex in terms of buying committees, working with sales. So my experience with B2B tech are working in a company called HubSpot, which hopefully a lot of your listeners know about, Mm -hmm. which was excellent in terms of getting to understand the fundamentals of how that's supposed to work at a big company. But I've also worked at like a small B2B SaaS self-serve company called Referral Candy, which is like a Shopify app. So really understanding that spectrum of what B2B looks like on the small side, but all the way to the big side, that's something that tickles my brain. But again, like to have a longer answer to your question, B2B tech, I view it as just one component of the entirety of marketing. Hmm. When you view marketing that way, it's a lot more satisfying in terms of what you can learn, but also it gives you a broader view of marketing fundamentals and how you can apply to your business. Awesome. Now, we can't really get away from what we're about to talk about today. You know, you flash up your social channels or even news channels, and it's all that seems to be talked about at the moment, which is, you know, this downturn or a recession or whatever you might want to call it. But obviously, things have changed. I think people have gone from a sort of growth at all costs type of attitude to really sort of focusing on efficiency. So the whole purpose of this podcast is to give people a few ideas to be thinking about. We can't go super deep on every single thing, but a few things for people to be thinking about in this situation to make sure they're getting the most out of 2023, which is when this will be sort of live. But I guess the first thing that a lot of companies think about in this situation from a leadership point of view is CEOs think, right, how can I cut costs? I know I'm going to cut the marketing budget, which, you know, invariably happens. Um, What sort of things should you be thinking about then? If you imagine you're a leader or you're speaking to B2B tech leaders at the moment, marketing leaders at the moment, What sort of things should they be thinking about if they're told, right, okay, we've got to shrink this budget a bit? So there's a short and long answer to this question. As anybody who follows me on LinkedIn, I'm a fan of, okay, there's a real answer that you want to hear in the moment, but there's like a real better way to think about it. So the short answer is, okay, your boss told you you have to cut budget. And so where are the things you should look? There's a few areas of direct value you can immediately realize. Mm. Just turn off branded search. In my opinion, it's one of the greatest scams of the 2010s. It's like Google is saying you have to bid on your own keyword. It doesn't make any sense if you really think about it. Somebody's searching for you already, then you're just like paying for that click. That's the first thing you should do. Whenever I consult for a company now, there's like 10 to 20 to 30K a month going to branded search. If you cut it every single time, PPC traffic goes down, but then organic traffic picks up like every single time the clockwork. So if you're doing that now, so your boss has told you to do that, just do that immediately. Hmm. The second thing is look at your tools budget. So every marketing team has a bunch of SaaS tools in their stack. I guarantee you like 10 to 20% of those are not being used to their fullest extent. So you can just cut those or consolidate those and that's immediate savings. The other is the tools that you are using, think about which ones are up for renewal and then call your CSM or just try to cancel in the app 
And what's going to happen is somebody's going to put you in an automated flow that says, oh, you know, please like stay around because they're having recession <laughs> issues too, right? You get a free month. So there's just a lot of ways you can do in the short term to think about saving immediate dollars. And the last thing is I would say is look at your freelancers and agencies that you're using. Sometimes you have people on retainer. You didn't even know that you still had them. So just reevaluate those. Just doing those four things can give you some credibility within your team. Mm. If your boss is saying, hey, cut the marketing budget. It's like, okay, good. I have these four things. Dave told me to do these four things. Perfect. So now I have some breathing space to think about, wait, don't cut marketing as a whole. So the answer to this is going to be really company specific because some companies really actually do need to cut their marketing spend or really do need to reduce their team. But that's because they haven't thought about how their marketing fits in their go-to-market as a strategy. The thing that I would say is when you view your company in the context of your industry, you always want to be doing something slightly different than your competitors. So if your competitors are also making cuts and they're also doing hard reductions in how they invest in marketing, is there a way where you can use that as a way to re-accelerate once the recession is over? One of the mm-hmm. things that we did at HubSpot during the first recession in recent memory, which is the COVID like lockdowns and all that kind of stuff, right? We realized, okay, we need to slow down everything in marketing, but we know that these are crazy headwinds we're going to face. How can we turn these headwinds into a tailwind once this is inevitably over or once the pressure reduces? So really thinking about it in terms of that saying, like when your competitors zig, you zag. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, there's something there around don't do the same thing that everybody else is doing. You could make a reduction, but how can you invest in a smart way such that you know that this recession is not going to last forever? How can you give yourself a tailwind so you can reaccelerate when the conditions are better? Mm. And I guess you're touching on there. If you're going to be saving budget, all that money that we're saving, let's use it for something that's going to let us stand out. So, okay, let's approve the efficiency of our ads, for instance, by actually investing a little bit of that save budget in things like creative. So you really can sort of stand out against your competitors. Yeah, Matt, I think you said it in a much more succinct way than I just did. <laughs> but basically what I'm saying is don't cut and then do the exact same thing. Yeah. Like when you cut, you kind of have to reevaluate and do like, it's called zero-based budgeting. Like you start from scratch. Like if you only had this amount starting now and you had a clean slate, what would you do? And you end up with different answers mm. typically. So it's over-investing in creative, whereas before you're over-investing in like paid budget and media buying. Mm. So thinking about what you can do differently in a recession, I think it's going to be very important. Makes sense. What about from a sort of efficiency point of view? I mean, you touched on sort of agency use and sort of getting the work done and stuff like that. I said in my intro that a lot of companies are talking about driving more efficiency out of the marketing department and a company generally then. But what sort of things could people be doing perhaps internally from a marketing point of view to make sure that what they're doing is even more effective? Well, if you're thinking about B2B, then we're usually talking about there's a sales team involved, right? Hmm. And what I found is if you're looking for efficiencies, it's typically at the bottom of the funnel. Because in a recession, there's just fewer people in the buying window, right? And so if you're in a marketing position, it's kind of like we're forcing people to buy when they're just not in the buying window. So my answer to this is broader, not just about marketing specifically. It's like, how can you help the sales team capture the people who are actually in a buying window, have buying intent and have the ability to pay? How can you help them? So whether that's sales enablement, working with them to refine the ICP or like change how you think about the ICP, because sometimes it might have changed in a recession. So that's where I would spend my time. And whenever I advise companies, at least now, and they're saying, hey, you know, we need to figure out how we can get more out of our current investments. The first thing you should look at is actually the bottom of the funnel. And that means how can we increase the efficiency of the sales team? And there's a lot of things that marketers can do to support that. And could that be something like, I mean, I don't know if this is just me, but I've certainly noticed a couple of things. One is perhaps companies I was speaking to maybe sort of six, nine months ago, I'm essentially probably a lead in their system. 
I've been reignited. Somebody's reached out to me, an SDR, whoever it might be. So those perhaps quick wins of going back into your CRM, your marketing automation platform and thinking, okay, which leads haven't converted? And let's try and reignite those leads. It might be a better opportunity to talk to them rather than going out and finding somebody cold. Yeah. And then the second one was, again, I don't know if it's just me, but I seem to be getting lots of emails about upgrade to an annual plan. You know, we'll give you 20% off, but if you upgrade now yep. for whatever software you're using, it's a great way to drive some revenue straight into the bank. That's what I'm saying. The solution is usually on the sales side. It's less on the marketing side. But one practical thing I will say is when marketers look at this from a sales lens, there's a couple of quick wins you can have because you have a marketing skill set and you're helping people in sales, right? Like SDR copy. SDRs are not copywriters. So sometimes when you get outreach, it's kind of just like, what is this extremely long email that I'm getting or this LinkedIn DM that makes no sense? I'm kind of amazed that marketers don't write SDR copy or there's not a copywriter attached to that function just to make sure that it's as high converting as possible. So those are a couple of things I would look at in addition to what you mentioned around the real opportunity of increasing the bottom of the funnel. How can you like add months to the plan? How can you just make sure that it's all connected? There's some quick ones there. Perfect. Good stuff. What about the message then? I mean, we talk about making sure that the message lands. Obviously, the landscape for a lot of your potential customers has changed. You know, maybe they've gone from having problem A to actually problem B, which is effectively kind of staying in business. So the pain points change. What do you think marketers could do perhaps to sharpen the message during this time as well? There's two things, and I'll take a leaf from the playbook that HubSpot did, again, during the COVID first lockdowns, mm. which is marketing is always, what is going on in the world of my, my ICP? How has the worldview changed? What's top of mind for them? And obviously, during a recession, what is top of mind changes. Like you mentioned before, it was like growth, and now it's kind of like, how can I be as maximizing value as much as possible? Mm. So the hero copy on your homepage could change, your SDR outreach copy could change, what you do in your performance marketing, your paid social, the offers that you're putting out there. That in theory should change if your customer is really affected by the recession. And the other part, maybe your customer is just not ready to buy at this moment. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that I really love that we did at HubSpot, we recognize that budgets are smaller, people are more conservative, they're more afraid of investing in a solution that would be a significant budget cut, a budget hit. And so we just invested in education. And again, how do you turn the, the headwind into a tailwind? So we did like a series of webinars about how to deal with recessions, what other companies are doing. We connected people with each other. And so I think there's a short, quick answer to that and a long answer. So the short answer being, how can you adapt your copywriting just to make sure it reflects the new conditions that your target market is going through? Hmm. And the longer answer is maybe there's a way for you to step back and build trust by not trying to be actively salesy to them Mm. and just getting on their side and giving them tools and education to make sure that they feel more confident coming out of it. And with the companies that you've worked with then, is that something a marketeer would do? Would they go so far as jumping on some calls with some customers then or is that done by somebody else typically? In terms of... Understanding the customer's point of view and their pain points, yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, that's like marketing's job, right? Especially if you have a product marketing function. I view that function as the function in the company that has the most intimate knowledge of the ICP. Hmm. So that sits within marketing. And so it's definitely marketing's job to be leading the thought internally around how the worldview of the, the target audience is changing. Great and if we think about sort of metrics then, I mean, there's obviously a debate these days that will go on forever, I guess, whether it be lead gen, demand gen or whatever, but the most important number is the revenue number at the end of the day, isn't it? From some of the companies that you've worked with, and obviously right now in this next year or this year as it's launched, you know, revenue is going to be super, super important as it always is, I guess. What do you think teams should be thinking about in terms of metrics to focus on? How do you think that should be joined up with sales? Yeah, there's a framework that I use that I call the triple A framework. It allows you to zoom out from an obsession with QLs and pipeline, which are very, very important. 
But again, when you're facing recession, there's fewer people in the buying window. And so if you just obsess around the QLs and the pipeline, you'll kind of drive yourself crazy because you're just looking at the very end stage of a long process of a lot of people in aggregate, right? So the triple A framework that I use is awareness, affinity, and acquisition. So that is just breaking down the black box of how do you get a QL? How do you build pipeline? Hmm. Those are the leading indicators for those, right? So when you think about a recession, when you think about how can I still add value or how can I keep my business healthy during a recession? It's opening up the black box and identifying how you're performing against those metrics. That way there's things to improve even if people aren't buying. Your awareness is stuff like your social following, page views. The things that we traditionally think of vanity metrics are actually very important. And I think more and more people are realizing that. So are you able to invest in those or increase those in a productive way? Your affinity metrics, which are like engagement, so newsletter subscribers, open rates to the things that you're sending people, things that show that people are coming back to you and are building trust and engagement. Hmm. And then there's the acquisition metrics, which is like, yeah, QLs, how many demo requests did you send? So breaking it down into those three things and identifying where the greatest areas of improvement are and where you think you can make the most progress during a recession. Those are things that allow you to figure out, okay, what are some things we can measure other than QLs or pipeline, which we may have less control over. So instead of just throwing up your hands and say, oh, you know, like it's going to be a bad quarter, at least now you have things under your control and things mm. you can experiment against. It gives you a bit more agency around how to position yourself in a recession. And is now the time to be a little bit more brutal with the pipeline, i.e. clearing out those deals that have stagnated and perhaps just they're kicking around and not likely to close? Yeah, I mean, again, during a recession, there should be a lot of focus around sales hygiene mm. and how you can improve that. And certainly a big part of it is, you know, are you wasting time with people who are just not going to buy and you should not spend time with them? Or like, how can you position yourself so that when they are ready to buy again, they have a higher no like and trust factor with you, which is again, like the affinity thing, as I mentioned. Makes sense. And keep an eye on sort of time to close as well. Do you think that's the sort of metric that's worth keeping an eye on, bearing in mind sales cycles might be sort of pushed out a bit? You can monitor it, but I don't know if you have any influence as much as you would during normal times. Mm. At least not that I've seen. It's one of those things where it's a lagging indicator. So I would rather focus on what are the things in my control that can influence that in a positive way. Mm. And typically it's things up the stack. And again, acquisition, or are you even attracting the right ICP? Have you built enough trust with them when they were a lead in the system so that when they get to a sales conversation, they're already kind of educated, they already know what they're talking about? Mm. What about from a people perspective? Teams are so important. Keeping people motivated is so important. You're looking at all these redundancies that have happened within these companies. So it's tough for people. The pressure's obviously on as well. So you want to keep your team, your people motivated. What do you think you can be doing to make sure that that happens? I think what not to do is to operate as you were before. Let's say you did a layoff right, or a riff. I think the mistake a lot of companies make is to operate the same way that before that happened because mm. it doesn't recognize that a lot has changed emotionally and psychologically within the company. Mm. There's this dichotomy called like peacetime CEO, wartime CEO, which a lot of people don't like, but I personally am a huge fan of it because I've lived through several like wartime CEOs mm. and they were extremely, extremely effective during a period of great uncertainty. And it sounds bad, like, oh, wartime, you're going to be hard on people. Mm. But in a situation where there's been a layoff or people are aware that there is a recession or budgets are going to be cut, they're actually looking for that structure. They're looking for that centralized leadership in a way mm. because they're not dumb. Like they know that there's some crazy macro environment that we're living in. And so if you show up as somebody who's taking charge, as somebody who is pushing the team to be a bit more judicious around how they're spending their time, I find that that actually increases motivation. Of course, there's like a wrong and a right way to do it. But if you're doing it in a structured way and you're telling them like, hey, there's a macro environment that we need to be operating within and we cannot be operating in the old ways. Hmm. So how can you make sure that we are going to survive and see through this and thrive at the end of it? 
And I find that the way to motivate your people is to give them that clear vision, give them that clear structure and direction, because then they can release that stress of being like, oh, I don't know, this company doesn't know what it's doing, this leader doesn't know what it's doing. Hmm. So that way they're more bought into your mission. Some people are not going to be on board with that, and that's fine, and they'll probably leave. But then you're left with a core set of people who are bought in and who will support you on the mission. Plus, it's being honest with people, saying, look, this is going to be tough, but actually it's going to sharpen up your skills. You are going to become a better marketer off the back of it, whether or not you're going to enjoy it necessarily. Yeah. You are going to be a better marketer off the back of it. What about personal branding? If you are somebody in a team, you know, what do you think you could be doing perhaps at this particular time to help yourself if you are subjected to things like redundancies and stuff like that? I know you're a big fan of personal branding. Yeah, you should be doing this regardless of the season of the economy, right? Just because as marketers, you have all these skills on how to grow audiences and how to talk to people. And so it just seems to me your personal brand is an asset. So why would you not apply those marketing skills to your own asset that you own, that you're going to own for like 30, 40, 50 years? Hmm. And so that is a huge part of ensuring resilience in your career. And personal branding doesn't always have to mean like, I will host a podcast or I will be on YouTube Hmm. or I will do all this stuff. It can be as simple as I'm going to look for relevant people to follow in my industry, Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever it is, and just like comment on their posts Mm. and just keep showing up because your thoughtful input into the broader conversation around your industry starts to build your own personal brand. Mm. And sometimes that is enough for you to get some resilience in terms of future opportunities, in terms of new ideas or people coming to you inbound for whatever reason that's going to help you down the line. Well, you see it on LinkedIn, don't you? People picking up jobs very quickly who have built these personal brands because people almost feel like they know them. So it is super powerful. Last couple of questions then. What are the opportunities? I know you're a fractional CMO at the moment, so you're obviously talking to a lot of people who are doing this in the market. We're in a difficult period. If you're a marketeer, what could you take advantage of at this time? It's all too easy to sort of get a little bit focused on the sort of negative stuff. Let's cut the budget. Let's stop this event. Let's stop this campaign. Let's make a few people redundant. But with all these sort of things that are happening, there are always opportunities. And you always hear about through recessions, new companies coming up, new markets being opened up and new tech being launched and stuff like that. So from a sort of B2B tech marketer's point of view, what would you say as a sort of, okay, well, look, it's going to be a bit of a painful journey, perhaps, but actually there's some opportunities here. So I'll answer this from a couple of different perspectives. I think from a company perspective, it's the perfect time to refocus and get the team realigned. Because one of the things that happens when you're growing really quickly or you just do business as usual, there's a lot of operational debt and alignment debt that you rack up. And so this is kind of the perfect time to be doing that kind of thing. Because again, if the theme of the day is how do you can be more efficient How can you make sure you're getting max value for all the investments that you're making? This is like the perfect time to do that. Everybody's in the right mindset to do that. And so you don't always need to be investing in this new thing or trying this new thing. A lot of it is sometimes let's get everybody on the same page. Let's do a company reset. Let's like recalibrate to make sure that we're all aligned on the same goal and that we are more ruthless around the targets we're going to hit and we're more in touch with what each team is doing. I think, frankly, that's the biggest opportunity. Like I wouldn't overthink it for a lot of companies. It's just let's get on the same page. Here's an exercise that a lot of companies need to be doing, even in peacetime, right? Mm -hmm. Get your sales leader, your CS leader, and your marketing leader in a room and just tell them on a piece of paper, who is our ICP? I guarantee you, if you've never run that exercise, it's completely different for all three of them. Mm -hmm. Or they're like, they have no idea. Or like, yeah, it's employee size 50 to 500. This person will say that. The other one's like, actually, it's 1,000 and up with this use case. So that's a perfect example of things that are right on your nose during a recession that you need to be tightening up to make sure. Mm. So on a personal level, I think it's a great time to experiment and explore. I think there's two things happening right now in the world that are converging. One is the reality of the recession. This seems like it's inevitable. I don't think we're actually in a recession yet, but everybody's been talking about it. And so it's going to happen. Whatever. Let's accept that it's going to happen. 
And the other from a B2B perspective is the playbook is changing. Like there's this playbook from 2010 to 2017 of like run a bunch of ebooks, write a bunch of blog posts, newsletter, SDR, blah, blah, blah. And that entire predictable revenue funnel mm. that was started by the Salesforce people. That's kind of coming to an end mm. because what happened around 2017, 2018 is like the rise of communities and like Slack and Facebook groups and all this kind of stuff for a lot of different pockets of people. And so what started changing is the consumption patterns of people started changing from, okay, Google first, I will go on one company's website and educate myself there, hmm. to now finding my information and my discovery through a variety of different channels. And so it's a great time to experiment if traditionally your company has been in the bucket of let's make a bunch of ebooks or let's pump out blog posts to chase search volume. So now it is, how do we show up in communities in an organic way that's authentic to us? Can we make our own community? What would a podcast look like for us so that we can talk to our ICP in a much more direct way as opposed to hoping to come through our funnel? Hmm. So there's a lot of things you can do from an experimentation perspective. I'm not saying they should take up the majority of your budget, but at least they should be on your mind and on your radar in terms of how can we make some smart investments in these and scale them up if they start to show to bear fruit. Great stuff. Who do you follow? Who's inspiring you at the moment around this? Hmm. For anybody who follows me on LinkedIn, one of the things that I'm always espousing is expertise is domain agnostic. And so you should just not follow like B2B marketing people. You should follow people across different domains because that's where your best ideas come from. So some of my favorite people to follow are actually product managers. I follow a bunch of like LinkedIn creators. So they're industry agnostic. So I'll just drop a few names there. There's a PM. His name is Shreyas Doshi. He used to be a Stripe, Google, Twitter fellow. And then on the PM side, there's Lenny Richitsky and Akash Gupta. Again, like super prolific. And if you just understand how they work, it's what I just described. It's like they get into communities, they lead communities, and then that's how they start to build a credibility for themselves and for the brands that they support. And then on the LinkedIn creator side, Justin Welsh is just a monster. Like look at that name and you're just kind of like, oh my God, how is this guy? <laughs> He's incredible. Yeah, maybe I'll stop there. Like those are my top ones off the top of mind, but. Superb. Switching tack, obviously this won't change whether or not we're in a recession or not. You know, hiring good people makes the job a lot easier at the end of the day. You've got a great team, you're going to achieve much better things. But if you're hiring then, let's say, for instance, you're hiring somebody to do demand gen for a B2B tech SaaS company, something like HubSpot, on deck as you've worked for, what sort of skills and attributes do you typically look for? One thing that's never failed me, and I'm completely acknowledging that I have a huge bias here, <laughs> people who have published work online, so anybody who's like blogged or had a newsletter or had a TikTok, anything that shows that they have done the work of creating content, they either tend to do very well in my team. I don't know, maybe that's because my brain is wired and we're simpatico that way. But I think it's more like because it shows that they're willing to build, they're willing to try things, and they have feedback loops and learning loops outside of their day job. So that's been something I've always looked for. And also understanding how people learn. I think is very important as well. Marketing is a field that's constantly changing. I feel like every quarter there's something new. And so looking for signals during the hiring process or the recruiting process of somebody's an autodidact, what books did they read? Mm. If you ask them like, what are the last three books that you read? And it's kind of like either generic stuff or they're having trouble coming up with the answer. Mm. For me, that's like interviews over just because I know that you're not going to be able to keep up with the way the playbook keeps changing, especially B2B. Awesome. Well, I've really enjoyed talking to you, David. It's been a fascinating chat. Obviously, we've gone skin deep on a lot of this sort of stuff. And as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, you're a fractional CMO at the moment. So if anybody wants to reach out to you to explore anything, to ask your advice, to ask for help, what's the best way of them contacting you? Just add me on LinkedIn. And I really do mean that like if you ping me, I just love helping people and love thinking about marketing stuff. So feel free to DM me once you get connected. Superb. You're an absolute star. Thank you very much. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. So that's it for another episode of the Market Mentors podcast. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then please leave a review as that helps the channel going forward. Until next time.